Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Is this thing on? All right. Um, so we are concluding our three-part series on what it means to be a church for people who don't go to church. And we are talking about money today, so hold on to your wallets. Um, I actually have a clip that I want you guys to check out now. It's short, so pay attention. Don't miss it. Yesterday, I was sitting in a beanbag chair naked eating Cheetos. And I was flipping through the television, and I saw Robert Tilton. He's a televangelist from Dallas, and uh, he was staring at me. He said this. He said, are you lonely? Yeah. He said, have you wasted half your life in bars pursuing sins of the flesh? This guy's good. <laughs> he said, are you sitting in a beanbag chair naked eating Cheetos? <laughs> yes, sir. He said, do you feel the urge to get up and send me a thousand dollars? Close. <laughs> I thought he was talking about me there for a second. <laughs> so I don't know where we get this idea that the church is all about money. You know, um, I tell you what, uh, I don't know if, how it's been for you, those of you who grew up uh, in church, but it seemed to me like whenever the church was talking about money, that there was always this hidden agenda, that the end goal was always to try and get their hands on my wallet. You know, it just kind of felt that that vibe. And I just want to let you know before we go any further in this message, uh, maybe, you know, you're you're brand new to grace and you haven't heard us talk about the subject of money before, that that is not the goal here at Grace Community Church. So you can just rest easy. You can kind of ease up on your, if you're clamping down on your wallet right now, you can just, just relax. Because um, here at Grace, uh, we, don't, we don't take an offering. We're not going to pass a plate today of any sort. And, um, and one thing that, that maybe you, you should know this right up front is that uh, neither John, uh, who was just up here, who's our, who's our senior pastor, or myself, neither of us have a clue what anyone gives here at Grace. We don't have access to any of those contribution records. So um, anyway, I just wanted to throw those two out to you guys. Um, I titled the message this morning, uh, No More Fear, The Truth About Money. And so as I was thinking about, you know, well, okay, so what, what is the truth about money? Um, and I started researching through the Bible and looking at, well, what exactly does the Bible say about money? And I went through and I, was, I, I found this book. It's called The Word on Finances. And it actually contains every single reference to money. Every time that money is referenced in the Bible, it's right here. It's got every single verse of Scripture. And uh, what is fascinating to me is, do you guys know what the number one subject that's mentioned in the Bible is? Number one. It's actually love. It's not money. But you know the number two subject that's mentioned? It's money. Num- money is number two. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a lot of airtime. There's over a thousand references, a thousand references in the Bible to money. And I was thinking, well, why, I wonder why that is. And I think that it's because God knows just how powerful money is in our lives. It can either be used for tremendous good or for bad. Uh, it can either consume us or we can, you, we can leverage it to do tremendous things. And, uh, you know, I just think about 
myself and, and how consuming money can be. When I was a kid, um, my, my brother's actually here today, and so he'll be laughing about this story. But when I was a, a kid, I, I was just a super huge dork, okay? And so when we would get our allowance and stuff, my brother was always like the first one to go out and spend it at the first store. It didn't matter what the store was. He was that money was killing him. He had to get rid of it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I had to save it, and I organized my money in $1 bills. And so I would get like as many $1 bills as I could, and I would like, I would try and flatten them out and make them all nice. And, and I mean, it was, I was, he made fun of me. He still makes fun of me for it to this day. Um, but like, it, it just, you know, as a little kid, I don't know why I was so fascinated, so consumed by money. And so I think God knows that money is this huge, powerful, important topic. And that's why it's so often mentioned in the Bible. But what's fascinating is a lot of times when you go to church, um, the, the topic is always giving. You know, it always seems like that's the, that's the big deal. Well, did you know this? That of those about a thousand uh, scripture references to money, only about 20% of them have to do with giving. Still the biggest category, but 80% roughly of those verses have to do with other things about money. Borrowing, lending, spending, saving, investing, planning, wages, taxes, stealing, all these different things uh, about money. And so what I want to do today is just kind of give you guys um, a little snapshot of what the Bible says about money and how it pertains to you and me. And, you know, maybe some of you, because you've only ever heard a message that has to do with giving, maybe you, you never realized before that this kind of stuff was in the Bible. So let's, uh, let's jump in. But before we do, if we would uh, just say a word of prayer. God, I uh, just want to uh, say thank you for this morning and for everyone here. God, help us to uh, just to dive in and see what you have to say about money. I know this is an emotionally loaded topic. And so help us all, God, just to, uh, I don't know, just, just to focus in and, and try and just let go of some of those kind of uh, triggers and, and defense mechanisms that may come up and just be free to kind of zero in on, on what, what you're saying. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I've got some fill-ins for you. Uh, the first one, when it comes to money, that the Bible tells us is make it. Make it. All right, let's do this. Um, Genesis 2.15. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. And God is basically laying out the whole story of creation and the purpose for you and me. And look what it says in, in verse 15, chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and take care of it. And the principle here is that we have been created to work. Proverbs twelve fourteen says, wise words bring many benefits and hard work brings rewards. See, there's great satisfaction in hard work. There's tremendous value and fulfillment in working hard. And we all know this. The end of a day when you've worked hard, you know, there's something gratifying about that. It's good for us to work. So that's the first principle that God lays out to us, is that we need to make it. We need to go out and make some money, work hard. Second principle that the Bible tells us, save it. You've got to save it. Proverbs 21.20, it's a great verse. It says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Principles of planning and saving are biblical principles. You know, um, there's a, a financial uh, planner. He's a, he's a, 
a guy, his name's Dave Ramsey. Many of you guys have heard of Dave Ramsey because he does a, a Christian finance course. And, and over 200 of you here at Grace have gone through that course in the couple of years that we've been doing it. And um, for those of you who've been in this course, you know that according to this biblical financial teacher, Dave Ramsey, what, there's seven steps, right? There's kind of these seven steps to financial peace, according to the Bible. The first step, those of you who's been in the course, it's $1,000 in your what? Emergency fund. It's $1,000 of saving. That, you know, the whole idea of this course, this financial peace course, basically he's going back a couple of generations to what our grandparents did, which is saved up and paid for stuff. It's just a tried and true biblical principle. Avoid debt, save up, and pay for stuff. So make it, save it. The next one is grow it. Grow it. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. So we're supposed, according to the Bible, we're supposed to grow our money. And the way that we're supposed to do that is little by little through hard work. Proverbs 28, 19 through 20 says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in trouble, in poverty. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. So how do we grow our money? Well, it's not by chasing after get-rich schemes or, or playing the lottery. According to the Bible, it's just this tried and true principle of slowly but surely through hard work over time growing our money. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. I tell you, uh, when I was in college at Miami University, um, I, was a, I was an accounting and finance major. I never knew. They never told us. We heard this stuff in finance classes about the importance of diversification and, you know, spreading your risk and all this stuff. They never told us, man. It comes right out of the Bible. Here it is. The diversification strategy. Now, I got to tell you guys, a lot of this stuff that you're reading, you're like, okay, well, duh. Like, (laughs) this isn't, come on. Like, where's the good, exciting, like, interesting thing? The reality is, when it comes to money, the Bible doesn't have all these, like, slick sexy, like these incredible, you're not going to come, go running out of here and be like, oh my God, I got to get on my computer, you know, I got to start my own thing. It, you're, it's not going to happen that way. That's, that's the, the, here's the Bible. The Bible is tried and true biblical principles that are timeless, that are proven to work because they're from God to us. Just want to give you a couple other practical nuggets. And I, I feel a responsibility to give you these. If you've heard this, just, just bear with me because I'm telling you, I didn't know these until a few years ago. And they are so good, just such practical nuggets of wisdom that, that I hadn't heard uh, up to a few years ago. So here's the first one, Proverbs 11:15. This has to do with co-signing a loan for someone who maybe wouldn't otherwise qualify because their credit isn't good enough. Okay, here's what it says. It says, he who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in that situation where you had someone come along and they're like, hey, could you help me out? You know, could, and, and I don't know, but the first thought that I always had before I understood this principle was, well, what would Jesus do? 
You know, what would Jesus do? Oh, Jesus would probably help that person out. You know, this is someone who could really needs a break, and they're trying to get into this, this nice place. And if I just, if I just co-sign and, you know, put, put myself on that dotted line, then, then, you know, this would be a way I could really help them out. Well, the reality is that essentially, according to this verse, there's a principle here that if you do that, a lot of times you're going to come back and get burned. And maybe instead of thinking, well, Jesus would do that, it's maybe the idea is um, maybe God doesn't want that person living in that place. Maybe there's something else that they do qualify for that they could afford. Maybe there's another alternative that they need to do. So that's helpful if you're one of those people that's like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I should. The Bible tells you it's not such a good idea. Proverbs 22.7. This is another great uh, nugget of wisdom. It says, the rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is servant, or many translations actually use the word slave, and the borrower is servant to the lender. What this has to do with, obviously, is being in debt. And if you're here this morning and you are like up to your eyeballs in debt, you don't need me to tell you that this verse applies. Because the reality is, when you've got um, credit card payments and car payments and student loan payments, and you are just swimming in debt, you are, in a sense, slave to the lenders, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that you might love to do. There might be trips that you want to take or missions that you want to support or all kinds of things that you want to do. Or maybe there's a different job that you would take, but you're like, man, I, have, I am a slave to my lenders. I have to pay my bills. And so, essentially, this verse is encouraging us to avoid debt. Again, this stuff is it's not slick. It's not sexy. In fact, it's countercultural. Right. I mean, all the messages you hear out there today rail against what the Bible has to say. And I think it's important that we realize that, because sometimes when you're hearing this stuff, you're already kind of saying, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about this stuff, because culture says stuff like this. Work hard. You don't have to work hard. In fact, you know, you can work from home for two hours a day and make two thousand dollars a week. Right. I mean, you, you, you read this stuff, you hear about this stuff all the time. You know, you don't have to save up for that new flat screen TV. You just come on down, man. No cash, no credit, no problem. You know, 90 days, same as cash. We will take care of you. You can take that TV home today. Don't, don't worry about saving up. We got a great payment plan for you. And uh, man, you guys have heard of all those get rich quick schemes. You know, it's like, you don't need to have a dime. You just go, you can buy and sell real estate properties. You'll have a million dollars in your first year. You know, there's, there's all these things out there, and just flat out, these are not biblical principles. So uh, I just want to encourage you to reflect on these verses here this morning, because they, uh, they're just timeless truth of the Bible from God to us. All right, here's the last one, and you might be saying, oh man, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Give it. Make it, save it, grow it, give it. Like, man, I knew he was going to end with this one. I knew we were coming down to this. The church always talks about giving. I'm hanging on to my wallet. You know, let me tell you, okay? I could not do a message about money and what the Bible has to say about money if I didn't come along and hit the category that's mentioned one in five times the Bible talks about money. It's huge. And, I, you know, I was thinking, well, why, why is giving such a huge deal? Why does God put so much emphasis on it? And you know what hits me? Our God is such a giving God. God gives us so much. It's a core value of God to give, to give to us, gives life to us. And so um, that's just something that he wants us to, uh, to carry out in our own lives. And the other thing that strikes me is the first three things we looked at, make it, save it, grow it. Those are things we're much more naturally want to do. 
You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, maybe not all, all three, but, but we're much more naturally going to go in that direction anyway. Whereas giving, at least for me, is something that, like, I don't like to pry my hands off my money very easily. You know, it's just not kind of a natural thing that I want to do. So the fourth one is give it. And this is, if you get nothing else from this message, uh, I want you to get this next fill in the blank. Even if you don't like to fill these in, you, you've got to catch this one because this is absolutely critical. I've been praying about this all week. According to the Bible, you are not required to give. I want you to fill that in. I'm going to say it again. According to the Bible, you are not required to give. Did you know that? According to the New Testament, you don't have to give one single penny of your money away to the church, to a nonprofit, to the poor. You don't have to give a dime. And you know what? If you don't give one penny away, God will still love you. God is still crazy about you. God can still do things in your life. You can still have a major impact in this world. You can still be a Christian. You still go to heaven. You don't have to give anything. I was just considering just stopping the message right there. Because, that, because once you understand you don't have to, it's not mandatory. It's not mandated. There's no requirement. There's no obligation. There's no commandment. Okay? When Jesus came, he, he set us free from that stuff. Okay? If you get nothing else, I want you to just kind of think about that. You don't have to give a dime. Now, here's the distinction. And I think this is where a lot of times we've been hurt and churches have gotten things wrong. Is you, you are not mandated to give. You are not required to give. You're not obligated to give. Okay? But the Bible encourages you to give, encourages you to give. I think sometimes where churches have got that wrong is where it's come across and it's felt much more like guilt, obligation, command. It's not that at all. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where we unpack that a little bit. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, for those of you maybe... Uh, you're not too familiar with the Bible. Second Corinthians is towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. And um, it's written by a guy named Paul. And he's like this super Christian, man. He goes around starting churches all over the place. Unbelievable guy. And, um, and so he's writing a second letter to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. And um, in this letter, see, Paul's been traveling all around. And he's been starting churches everywhere. And what he's, what he's noticed is that back in Jerusalem, where like the first church happened, like back in the book of Acts, like where the first Christians came together, man, they are under oppression from the Romans. There's, it's, it's a really dire financial situation there. Okay? They are really hurting. Tremendous poverty. And so Paul knows this. And so as he's going around to the other churches outside of the region, like the church in Corinth, that's a, a pretty well-to-do church in a, in a well-to-do area, um, he's basically just saying, hey, you know, th- there's this church back in Jerusalem and they are really hurting and he's giving them an opportunity to participate in, in, uh, in giving to this church. And what he's doing is he's actually holding up uh, some other churches and what they're doing as an example to the church in Corinth. So um, we're going we're gonna to look here at um, the first nine verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says this. Paul, Paul writes to them, he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, 
what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, the churches in Macedonia would have included the Philippians, the church in Philippi, which is in the New Testament as well. There's a letter in there to them. And the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. And, um, and so this, he's saying that th- this is what these churches are doing. He says, they're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But now check this out, okay? Remembering what we talked about, that the Bible says you do not, you're not required, you're not mandated, you're not obligated to give a single penny. Just check out the theme here, okay? He says, verse 3, For I can testify that they gave not only... Oh, wait a minute. No, I, I skipped over, sorry. Go back to verse 2. Uh, they are, they're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it, catch this, out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So I want you to catch this. In those verses, nowhere in there, you guys, nowhere in there were they giving out of a sense of guilt or obligation or mandate. Okay, do you see that? They were giving out of great joy. They were begging their own free will. They were begging for the privilege of giving. goes on in verse 6. Now Paul kind of turns to the Corinthians and he says, So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Notice that word, encourage. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of of giving. And then check these words out. Verse eight, I am not commanding you to do this. Read that again. You got to let this sink in. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Let me explain what's what's going on there. So again, I mentioned this is a very well-to-do church. This church in Corinth, they were they were great, talented people. Okay, this was this was a, a very wise place, a wise city. There were some extremely smart, talented, dynamic people. Okay, so basically, what Paul is saying here is like like I'm not I'm not telling you that you have to do this. I'm merely giving you an opportunity. To prove, you know, you guys are big talkers here at this Corinthian church. You guys are talking about how much you love Jesus and how much you do. He's saying, I'm just giving you an opportunity to prove that love that you say so much about. He's kind of calling them out a little bit. And then he says, which really is like the theological nugget of this whole section, verse 9. This is, this is kind of the capstone. He says, and you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich... Yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Basically, what Paul is saying here, okay, as as he ends on Jesus as the supreme example, is he's saying, look, the reason we give 
is not out of guilt or obligation. The reason we give is because God has given so much to us. That's why we give. You know, Jesus Christ came down out of eternity and all just that that meant and humbled himself and became a man, became a servant and died on a cross for us. He gave up the riches of heaven and and gave to us so that we might know God. That, that's why we give. When we give Corinthians and Grace Community Church, we don't give out of obligation. The reason we give is out of thankfulness to God. It's our way of saying, God, thank you for everything that you've given me. I want to I be a giver too. That's why we give. Um, as I um, just conclude here, I want to share with you kind of my experience at Grace and something that really uh, helped to, to change my life in the subject of giving. And, um, and that was actually happened about seven years ago. Uh, about seven years ago, uh, my wife Becky and I started coming to Grace. And um, I remember in that first year, uh, John gave a, a sermon about money. And uh, I had never really understood uh, money and why we give. I, you know, even churches with great intentions, I just figured, well, the church needs money and church got to operate, pay the bills, you know, pay salaries. Like, you know, it's practical reality. You put some money in the plate, you know, that's what you do. And, um, and John said something to me that just really changed my understanding of money uh, forever. And he said, you know, uh, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need it. We don't give for God's sake. We give for our sake. We don't give for God's sake. We give for our sake. He said, one of the things that happens when we give is it's an opportunity for us to exercise our faith. It's to put our faith into practice, to put our faith into motion. And he talked about, and I'm going to explain it a little bit more here in a second, but that that was one of the ways that we could actually grow our faith. And that resonated so much with me you guys because i am a person i struggle in my faith i if you have been coming to grace for about six months you know that i did a three-part series all about like my lessons learned along the journey and just my struggles with faith and i just feel like i'm just there's some people and it, their their faith is so high it's like you know my grandma told me when i was three years old that jesus you know is my savior and i just believe it and they all they're just like they're just good they have so much faith it's unbelievable I, I, I don't work that way. I, my, my faith gets weak a lot of times. And so if you're here this morning and maybe, you know, you're here, you don't even, you're not fully sure of what you believe. You're just kind of checking things out and trying to figure it out. I'm here to tell you that I can completely relate to you in your journey and your struggles. But John said, you know, this, this area of money is actually a place where we can make tremendous gains in our faith. And he went on to share a scripture verse with me. With, with the whole church, um, Malachi 3.10. And you might have heard this before, but um, just to set it up a little bit, all throughout the Bible, we're told that we're not to put God to the test. We're not to test the Lord our God. If anyone's going to do testing, God's, God can test us. You know, he's God, we're not. He can t- he, feel free. He can, God, you can do whatever you want, okay? Um, but there's this one place that the Bible actually says that God invites us to test him. And that's in Malachi 3.10. And it says this, and this is referencing this idea of tithing, which is giving 10%, 10% of your income to the local church. 
Okay, it's called a tithe. And this is what it says, Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, you might be sitting here saying, that sounds like something that that televangelist should have said to the guy naked on his beanbag eating Cheetos, you know? But this principle here is unbelievable. And so basically uh, what John invited us to do that day, seven years ago, invited me to do, was to say, this is an area where you can put God to the test. Maybe you don't really know if God exists. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe, you know, you're just, you would like to see God move in some way. Why don't you try and put God to the test? Because there's something that happens, okay? There's something that happens when you step out in faith when it comes to money. You step out in faith with money. God just seems to show up. I don't understand why it happens this way. It just happens. It doesn't mean that you go and you do this, and then the next thing you know, you're expecting a check for $10,000 in your mailbox next week because that's not usually the way that God works. But uh, for whatever reason, God just seems to bless this act. And so for me, stepping out in faith, this was a major deal for me, saying, okay, I'm going you know, to take 10% of my income, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that out there for God. First of all, that totally makes you pray more. Okay, Try, Believe me, it does. Okay, so right there, your relationship with God is increased. But, you know, there's also something that's amazing about it because, you know, your blessing may not have anything to do with finances. Your blessing may have much more to do with starting to get freed up from this stranglehold you have and this obsession you have with your finances, this love that you may have for money. Uh, You know, I I don't know uh, exactly the way that this will work. But the principle is there. And you might be here this morning and you're like, man, there is no way that I could ever do this tithe thing, this 10%. There's a biblical principle. And the principle, whether it's 10% or whatever it is, is to go out in faith, okay? Step out in faith and, and give, okay? Give out in faith and see what happens. See what God might do. God says, put me to the test. See what happens. And so that was it. I'm one of those guys. I'm like, sweet, let's do an experiment. You know, let's try this for a couple months and let's see what happened. And, I, you know, I don't want to go into all the specifics of, of what has happened in, in my life. But let me just tell you that it's just been incredible. Uh, it's been incredible since, um, since my wife and I have been tithing. And I've heard so many other stories around grace. Uh, now, the one other thing that John said that probably impressed me more than anything else, because I'm a skeptical person and I was still kind of like, okay, okay, that's cool. Church really must be hurting for money this week. Um, now, I don't, I don't know if I thought that or not. But, um, but he's, the final thing he said was, he said, look, and by the way, just to, just to reassure you that this is not about Grace Community Church trying to like build up the reserves or you know, increase the, the giving around here. He said, here's the deal. If you're at all thinking this is about grace, he said, don't even give it here. Don't, don't, don't give it here. There's tons of local churches in this area, tons of great churches. Give it, pick one. You know, pick a, pick a church and, and try this experiment. Put God to the test at another church and see what happens. Because this is not, you know, this is not something that God needs. This is not something that Grace Community Church needs. This is not about that. It's about you and your faith and your relationship in God going to a different level. So um, I think that's all I got. Let's, let's, go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. God, um, we thank you for uh, 
for this Bible and for all the, the wonderful nuggets of wisdom that it contains. We thank you for, um, for the fact that you care so much about us. You know that money is such a, a, such a hot-button issue. It's such a powerful thing. Um, Lord, you know it can be used for good or bad, and so we thank you that you give us these principles about you know, the importance of working hard and making money, saving it, growing it, God, and um, you encourage us to stay out of debt and do these different things because you want the best for us. But Lord, we also thank you that you are a God who loves to give and has given us so much. And Lord, thank you that you don't mandate us to give, that you don't force us, guilt us, obligate us. We don't have to give a dime. I thank you that you've freed us from all that. And you've just said, we, you just give, you know, out of the joy of your own heart. And so, Lord, um, just help each of us as we kind of wrestle with that. And um, just this idea of, of giving joyfully and freely and seeing it as a privilege and not as an obligation. God, um, there are those of us in this room who um, are just really at a place where we, we would love to see you move in like a supernatural God kind of way, unexplainable stuff, awesome faith stuff. Lord, um, you invite us to test you in this. And there are some of us who are seriously, seriously wrestling with the idea, this crazy idea of trying this thing out and putting you to the test. God, I just pray that you would just do amazing, miraculous, unbelievable things to help us in our faith and in our life to connect with you. So, Lord, just be with each of us and help us to take what you want us to take from this message today. In Christ's name, amen.